if the New Covenant is actually a Jeremiah Old Testament idea. It's actually like a 400, 500 BC idea and not a new Jesus invented it during a meal idea, then maybe it isn't just for Christians, maybe it's something that's fulfilled in Jesus for the Jewish people. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history, as well as today's world in the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Today we're going to talk about covenants, which might be something you're familiar with if you believe in anything related to the Bible. Um, but there's tons of covenants in the Bible, so we'll talk about all of them today. How do they relate? Who are they for? And answer more questions about the covenants. But before we get started, we want to let you know about an opportunity to support Jewish people all around the world in communities that you're probably not very familiar with. Uh, we actually go and we help them meet their physical needs as well as bring spiritual care and the good news of Yeshua or Jesus. Um, there's more details on our website at ajewandagentildiscuss.org if you're interested. And as a thank you for getting involved in partnering with us, we will send you some of our own Lost Tribes coffee, which is sourced directly from Ethiopia, where we have served for over 20 years. It's delicious coffee, and you should get some. And if you stay tuned to the end of this podcast, you can enter for a chance to get that coffee for free. So let's discuss. So, Ezra, we're going to talk about the covenants. There's yeah. lots of covenants. For those listening who are Christians, they might think about the New Covenant. For those listening who are Jewish, they can think about covenants from the Old Testament that they're familiar with. So kind of give us a, uh, you know, lightning round speed version of the multiple covenants. Yeah, I will. And before I do that, I think let me just maybe like get inside your brains for a moment. So if you're from a Jewish background, you're listening to the covenants, or if you're from a Christian background and thinking of the Jewish people, when you hear the, the word covenant, right, maybe you're thinking of like Charlton Heston standing with these tablets, right, or like the Prince of Egypt, you know, Moses in his old age, and this final scene, and he comes down the mountain with these tablets, and this is the covenant for the Jewish people, right? It's the Torah. It's the Ten Commandments. It's what turns out to be the 613 commandments that uh, Moses delivers to the Jewish people, and this is their relationship to a holy God, and this is how they relate to him, that covenant. And if you're from a Christian background, or if you're a Jewish person thinking of the Christians, when you hear covenant, you insert a three-letter word before the word covenant, and it's new, right? The new covenant. Or... If you will, and we're going we're gonna to intentionally debunk this in just a minute, but maybe you're thinking, yeah, 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 the new covenant, that new religion called Christianity that Jesus shows up on the scene at 0 AD and inaugurates. Neither of those is entirely the case. And what I mean by that is the Ten Commandments that came down with Moses from Sinai, from God himself, is not the entirety or even the end of God's covenant plans and purposes for Israel and the Jewish people. Neither is... Uh, the new covenant that Jesus is the mediator of, if you will, the high priest of, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, neither is that some completely detached new religion or new covenant or new religious system that Jesus invents that's detached from the rest of the Bible and the rest of God's history with humanity and the Jewish people. So that was a mouthful, but like you said, Carly, let's do kind of a lightning round. So if we go back to the beginning of scriptures, uh, the first 
The first covenant that we see is what we can call the Adamic covenant, and Adamic is like Adam. And in your minds, listeners, you should think of like a pyramid, okay? So the base of the pyramid, this widest part, is this idea of the Adamic covenant. So Adam and Eve sin, right? And God's visiting them and saying, you know, where are you? And they said, we hid from you. How did you know you were naked? You know, da, 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 da. And we have this whole account. And God's saying, okay, here's how it's going to be. Here's the curses, right? He curses the serpent. He curses the work of Adam's hands and says, with great toil will you bring forth uh, that fruit from the ground that I told you to, you know, to bring forth when I created you. Eve, with great toil and pain and difficulty will you bring forth children. But then there's this glimmer of hope in a very, very dark passage in the middle of of Genesis 3, and it says this. It says, and this is verse 15 of of chapter 3, and I will put enmity, animosity, between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And the word there is literally sperm. It's zerah, okay? So like literal descendancy of Eve. Fundamentally, this adverse relationship, this this enmity between the serpent, who represents the devil here, and uh, Eve, the mother of all humanity. And then it says, he, Zerah, Eve's literal descendant, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And the idea here is God's making a promise to Eve, even though now you're going to taste death because you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? You're going to taste death, but one's going to come from you who will actually kill the serpent. He's going to crush his head, right? Striking his heel brings harm. It brings, you know, a a snake bite nobody wants, right? It's a serious thing. But crushing someone's head, they're dead. And so there's this promise, this Adamic covenant that in Adam's seed, one is going to come forth who puts an end to the enemy, to the devil himself. Okay, that's that first covenant or promise that we see. And then we fast forward a few hundred years to what's called the Noahic Covenant. So again, you're seeing the pattern here. Adamic, Adam, Noahic is Noah, right? We have the flood. God says he, it's a funny passage, Carly. He says he he regrets having made, he was sad that he ever made mankind. That's serious language. Like we, we could take a whole other podcast and go like, what's going on here? But in the heart of God, he's so distressed that the heart of man is fundamentally set against him and set on doing evil that he's scanning throughout the earth to find one man, one family who he can preserve while the others will be judged and killed for, their, for the evil in their hearts and their evil actions and, and form this new relationship with. So again, still at the base of the triangle, Noah's a descendant of Adam, but now God does the flood. Everybody's dead except Noah and his family and the animals that were brought onto the ark, the ark lands on the mountain, and uh, this rainbow appears, and now we have what's called the Noahic covenant, and it's another promise. You're seeing the pattern here? Covenant is a promise that God makes in response to man's faithfulness, okay? Belief in him and relationship to him. And the Noahic covenant says this, God says, never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. And he puts that sign, that rainbow in the sky. So this is his promise to Noah, is in essence... I did what I needed to do, but now through you and your descendants, I'm making you a promise that I won't destroy the earth like I did before. So you have this uh, Noahic covenant. Call upon me, like be in relationship to me, Noah, and your descendants, and I promise that I won't destroy the earth. So Ezra, before you keep going, I just want to bring up before I worked here and someone asked me, what are all the covenants? I probably wouldn't have thought oh, there was a covenant with Adam and a covenant with Noah. I wouldn't have thought of them as covenants. So I just want to make that point of like, 
This is something God has done since the beginning of time with his people is makes these covenants, makes these promises. And you can see that build throughout the whole Bible. It's not like Jesus enters and the covenant begins. Right, exactly, exactly. And so Noah has his sons who are Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I'm saying that in my best American English accent. It sounds better in Hebrew and more phlegmy. But my point here, it's a little bit of a tangent, but these three sons of Noah, right? God makes this covenant with Noah. You're after my own heart. I found you good, whereas I found everyone else evil in their hearts. And I'll never destroy the earth like I did. Now, you know, teach the fear of me in relationship with me to your descendants. One of those three descendants named Shem is where we get the idea Semitic. So the Jewish people aren't the only Semitic people on earth. Actually, the Arab people, also sons of Abraham, right, through Ishmael, are Semitic people. Uh, I'm thinking of the Ethiopian community, and, you know, we serve, uh, in partnership with Jewish Voice, Carly, we serve scattered Jewish communities throughout Ethiopia. But the Ethiopian people are still also known as a Semitic people. It means that they can trace their genealogy back to being under Shem, one of Noah's three sons, after God makes this covenant with Noah. So fast forward again a few hundred years and you have Abraham and what we call the Abrahamic covenant. Now, this is where we get into the story of the Jewish people specifically, right? Abraham's living in Syria, Iran, Iraq, that area. And God says, leave your father and your family, your father's family and go to a land I'll show you and I will bless you and you'll be a blessing and I'll bless your descendants. Uh, So here we have, again, this promise God's making in response to faith and obedience, and the promise is for blessing, and he's making it with Abraham and his descendants. And uh, we have another another episode, Carly, in this season called Was Adam Jewish, where we talk about in great detail like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and why the blessing and why this covenant, if you will, went through uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and not just through all of Abraham's descendants. But... This idea here is leave what you know, follow after me, and I'll bless you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then fast forward another few hundred years. I know I'm going fast, but we're just imagine like these these sections on the triangle, right? Not just this relationship with God, but God delivers the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and he brings them through the Red Sea with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and drowns Pharaoh and his enemies. And remember, why were the why were the uh, Jewish people let go? Or why did Moses say to Pharaoh, let my people go? Let my people go because it's wrong for you to oppress them? Well, sure, it was wrong, but that's not why. Let my people go because I chose them? No. It says, let my people go so that they can worship me. What God was after was a priestly people who would worship him in the way that he, in his holiness and his mercy, required to be worshiped. And so now we have what's called the Mosaic Covenant, all right? And that's Moses. Again, the same pattern, the name and the covenant and the promise. And the Mosaic Covenant, now you can think of the Ten Commandments, right? You know, ah, and Charlton Heston or the Prince of Egypt holding these two tablets. And those had the Ten Commandments on them, but it wasn't only ten. It was 613 spelled out in great detail in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then explained throughout most of the rest of the scriptures, also explained by Jesus. More on that in a couple minutes. And that's what we call the Mosaic Covenant. And the idea was, hey, Israel, people that I chose through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I chose you so that you can worship me and so that you can be a priestly people on earth to solve the problem of man's separation from me and my holiness because of their sin. And the way that you're going to worship me is through this set of 613 laws about the way I want you to live, worship, relate to each other, relate to me. And that's where we get the Mosaic Covenant. And this one says, if you obey me, I'll bless you. And if you don't, Israel, 
you'll be cursed. And it's not a cursing unto like ultimate condemnation. It's my desire is always that you're in right relationship to me. So if you step out of that right relationship, I'll allow you to experience the effects, the difficulties, the persecution, the death the enemy wants to bring you of stepping out of that relationship. But my desire is your right relationship with me. So the Mosaic Covenant. Another one we don't talk about a lot is uh, building on that pyramid, this Davidic Covenant. What's the Davidic covenant? First of all, that doesn't make any sense. God made a covenant with David. Wasn't David Jewish? Isn't it the Mosaic covenant? Yes, but there's something additional, and we see it actually in uh, 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. And, God, and David's you know, relating to God, and he's saying, would you bless me? And the Lord says a couple things. He says, I'll bless your descendant, meaning Solomon, and he'll build a house where I'll dwell. Solomon built the first temple, so we see that playing out later in the scriptures. But then he also says, and David, you'll never cease to have a man who reigns on the throne of Israel forever. Well, wait a minute. David died, and Solomon died, and Solomon's descendants died, and the kingdom split up, and a lot of the Jewish people went into exile in Babylon and Assyria, seemingly never to be seen again. Some came back, but some were, quote-unquote, lost for thousands of years. So what's God doing in making this crazy promise to David, this covenant promise, you will never cease to have a man on the throne of Israel? Who is that man? And here we get that first sneak peek of why is it? Isn't it a funny thing that in the gospel accounts, somebody would shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Yeshua ben David in Hebrew, have mercy on me. What? Why would they say that? Wait a minute. I thought, I thought Jesus, I thought Yeshua was Joseph and Mary's son, like sort of, but we don't really know what happened, right? I mean, so people would have whispered behind Jesus back in his day. So what's this crazy request, Yeshua, son of David, have mercy on me? And it's that in the life and ministry of Jesus, followers of him understood, ah, this is the one. This is the fulfillment of God's promise, his covenant with David, that David would never cease to have one who would reign on the throne. In fact, one would come who would reign forever. And so this is where we get the idea, Carly, and maybe it's something that in the Christian community we don't think or talk a lot about, but the idea that Jesus isn't just my personal savior who takes away my sins. He's a ruling king in the line of the kings of Israel who was promised by a covenant-keeping God would rule on the throne forever. That's a good tease, Ezra, to a future episode where we have where we talk about the Messiah from the Jewish and Christian perspective. Totally. But before we go into the new covenant, right. which will really, you know, relate to Yeshua, Jesus. Right. Of these ones that you just named, yeah. um, are these like covenants that are related to each other? You mentioned like the pyramid, right? Yeah. So they're kind of stacked up right. upon each other. Right. Yeah. And I, th I think what we have to remember is, is the foundation in each section of the pyramid is larger than the next thing on top of it. I mean, it goes without saying, but what do we mean by that, right? The Adamic covenant is is this promise that God would bless the descendants of Adam and one would come forth who would crush the head of the enemy, okay? So now shrink it. Abraham, Abraham also was the father of Ishmael, who has a prophetic destiny in God. We see it in Genesis 15. We see it in Genesis 17. God has plans for Ishmael, even though Ishmael isn't Jewish. He's the father of the Arab peoples and other people groups, okay? So then shrink it a little bit more beyond the Abrahamic covenant, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, you know, that whole song. Okay, shrink it a little bit more. Uh, now you understand why this isn't a singing podcast, by the way. <laughs> yes. if you just heard that that little riff. The Mosaic Covenant is specifically with this 
what we understand to be hundreds of thousands, several million Jewish people who come out of ex, who come out of uh, slavery in Egypt. Shrink that down to the, to the Davidic covenant. Does the Davidic covenant apply to all Jewish people? No, it's a promise God made David and his sons. And David, as we understand from the scriptures, was in the tribe of Judah, just like Jesus was. So again, for a Christian audience or for our Jewish listeners, why would Matthew, right? Matthew has 28 chapters. He didn't write them in chapters, but right, just for the sake of argument, Matthew has 28 chapters, a couple dozen pages to tell us about the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming rule and reign of the most important figure in history. Why on earth does he take a chapter to tell us about the genealogy of Jesus? When really what people are thinking is, yeah, but Mary had him and we're not really sure how Joseph was involved. He's telling us that because there was a promise made to David. Does it, is it a promise that, that directly affects the descendants of all Jewish people? No, it's a smaller part on, towards the top of the pyramid. But is it a promise that affects the destiny and the eternity of the entire Jewish people and actually of all the nations of the earth? It totally is. And so that's why it matters to us that David was in the line of Judah and that we know a Messiah would come from the line of Judah and that David would have one in his literal physical descendancy who would reign forever. Well, how does one reign forever? He has to be alive forever. Well, how does that happen if he conquers sin and death? So you see it all building upon itself. And then, you know, that, that's the Davidic covenant and we're about to talk about the new covenant, but you see each part is a little bit more specific, but it's all pointing toward this idea of God setting someone apart unto the redemption of many, right? From Adam to Noah to Abraham to the Jewish people to David to David's one descendant who would live forever and reign forever, setting, setting apart more and more and more specifically until it's down to one. So are you saying that without all of these other covenants, the new covenant would be means something different if it was just on its own because it doesn't have this buildup of these different covenants as a foundation on top of each other? Yeah, here's what I here's what I think. My response to that and we get this question a lot actually, you know, in our in our work here serving and meeting the needs of Jewish communities full-time and relating to Christians who want to understand more about what the heck God's doing with Israel and the Jewish people. And the question is, isn't it enough just to read the New Testament as a, as a Gentile, as a, you know, pre-Christian, right? and understand that Jesus came to die for my sin and receive him as my savior and be forgiven of my sins and come into right relationship with him and be saved. Yes, in terms of personal redemption. But I would argue two things. I would argue that how do you even know why you need to be saved from sin other than a guilty conscience? I mean, a guilty conscience is a good motivator for driving someone back to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's this whole idea of sin? Where did that come from? We have to go back to Adam. We have to understand how man is fun fundamentally separated from a relationship with the living God. And the second thing that just looking at the new covenant or the New Testament alone and that one-on-one -on -one individual relationship with Jesus as my savior, the, the second thing it misses is what the heck is God up to with Israel and the Jewish people? And what we would argue and what we talk about on other episodes is that to solve the problem of sin, it was never plan B for God to need to set apart a priestly people, a people who would reflect his glory and his mercy and minister to him in holiness in the way that he required, not just for themselves and their own relationship, but as a signpost to the nations, to the peoples of the earth of this is what it looks like to be in relationship with a God who is both love and holiness, who is both mercy and grace 
and truth. And so the Jewish people are set apart for that, but there had to be a high priest who would ultimately solve the problem of sin once and for all. And so that's where we get Mosaic, Davidic, New Covenant. There's, there's a history and there's a context that a one-on-one, Jesus showed up to die on a cross for my sins, like we can get there, like praise God and his mercy and grace, like we can, if you will, be reconciled to him and live forever with him and overcome death with that relationship. But it's missing so much of the context. And I would also say it misses this key idea that Jesus is more than a personal savior at my beck and request to bless me. He's a ruling, conquering king who's coming back. And he's coming back to require and to have the worship of Israel and the nations. We miss that if we only look at the New Testament. So obviously the Bible didn't start at Matthew. Right. Though a lot of Christians read it at Matthew. Right. Probably don't even make it to Revelation, but they start in Matthew and read a lot of the Gospels. The context, like as you're saying, is through these other covenants, seeing what God did through the history of time to get to the new covenant. And the new covenant isn't just a New Testament idea, we right. think. Because we're saying New Covenant often in the Christian world, we say Old Testament and New Testament. Sure. We're naming the New Testament kind of as the, the New Covenant. It, right. It didn't just become when Jesus came to earth. Right. It was before that. Sure. And so, Carla, I'll, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Like, in it, coming from a Christian background before you were involved in Jewish ministry, like when you hear New Covenant, like what's a, what's a passage in the Gospels where you think of, oh, yeah, like Jesus said New Covenant. Yeah, if you would have said new covenant, I wouldn't have even known what that was. Interesting. Covenant was a word that I – actually, there's someone that works here with us who mm-hmm. doesn't like when we say testament. He wants everything to be covenant, old right. covenant, new covenant. Right, right. And before I worked here, that would have been really foreign language, like right. new covenant. It would have been New Testament, John three sixteen. Interesting. You know, like if God so loved the world. That's what I would have thought of. But right. even the idea of a covenant was like maybe I'm just a naive Christian, but it was just not – language that I thought of. So I never would have thought about the covenants in the Old Testament either. Interesting. And so I'm, yeah, I'm thinking of the passage, like the communion passage, if you will, right? Like we see it in a couple of the gospels where Jesus, it says, and we actually in other episodes talk about how this is a Passover Seder. Jesus is celebrating Passover with his followers, his disciples, before he goes to the cross, mm-hmm. right? And he takes this unleavened bread and he holds it up and he says, this bread is the new covenant in my blood, mm-hmm. right? You know, or this is, this, is, this is my body broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that often is the passage that a Christian audience will latch on to and go, oh yeah, the new covenant started when Jesus had communion, Passover Seder, yeah. you know, between us here on this podcast, when Jesus had communion or a Seder with his disciples and he took bread and he took wine and he made a new covenant. Or he said, I'm about to make a new covenant when I die for your sins. Mm-hmm. Wrong. He's not inventing something new. What he said is true, but all of the disciples in the room, if they were familiar at all with the Torah and the prophets, would have understood this. They would have understood that Jeremiah, the prophet, said during dark days for Israel of sin and disobedience and exile, he said, behold, the days are coming. And Jeremiah is in essence, the Lord is speaking by his spirit through Jeremiah at this point. Behold, the days are coming in chapter 31 when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. And it says, and it won't be like the covenant I gave their fathers when I took them out of Egypt. Meaning it's not gonna be a covenant that's shown to them on tablets of stone that they need to try really hard to keep. He says, I'll write my law upon their hearts. 
This isn't Jesus language. This is Jeremiah by the Spirit of God language hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Jeremiah recognized, huh, Israel has this problem, let alone the nations who have no relationship with him. Israel, the people who are supposed to be this priestly people and a blessing to all the families of the earth, have this fundamental problem, and it's that we can't possibly, within ourselves and our own means, keep these 613 commandments, and that the wages of not keeping them is death and separation from God. Mm -hmm. What do we do? And God says, I have the answer. I'm going to make a new covenant. And it's not going to be like one that's written externally that you have to try to will to keep. I'm actually going to write my law on your hearts, which means that it's within you to keep it because I already fulfilled it in you. Mm -hmm. Well, how is he going to do that? Fast forward to Yeshua, to Jesus and the Passover Seder, and he's saying this my body being broken and my blood being poured out for you as the sacrifice lamb and the high priest is the new covenant. This is what Jeremiah was talking about. This is what it means that my law is going to be written on your hearts because I'm giving my righteousness to you through my death. And I'm confirming that I have authority over sin and death through my resurrection. So is the new covenant only for the Christians? Is that like the, you know, the the Christians have their own covenant, the new covenant, and the others are for... Well, I'm hoping light bulbs are going on for our audience, right, as as we share what we just did. And this idea, wait a minute, ah, if the new covenant is actually a Jeremiah Old Testament idea, it's actually like a 400, 500 BC idea and not a new Jesus invented it during a meal idea, then maybe it isn't just for Christians. Maybe it's something that's fulfilled in Jesus for the Jewish people. And like right there, Carly, like if we had to like do a subtitle for our entire podcast, it's that. It's that it's one story God's after that brings in Jewish people as, as Paul says, natural branches grafted into that tree, though we were cut off in disobedience, and that is simultaneously just as important to God bringing in wild branches that were never a part of the tree, but that God wants to be a part of the tree and to enjoy that fatness it says, whose roots are Israel. Now, I'm using a lot of olive tree kind of pruning farm language, but what am I, you know, agricultural language, but what are we really saying here? Is that that same new covenant that would be written on people's hearts, we see in the scriptures that says it's too small a thing that the Messiah would come to regather and to redeem the outcasts of Israel. It says, I'll also make you a light to the nations of the earth. That, that Jesus, the Messiah, hundreds of years before he shows up, the prophets saw, oh, it's about Israel, but it's not only about Israel, it's about all people. And Jesus confirms that in John 3, right? It doesn't say, for God so loved Israel. It says, for God so loved the world. And let's be careful also, on the other side of it, it doesn't say, for God so despised Israel for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah and so loved the world. It's just, it's for God so loved the world, which includes Jew and Gentile, all are in Adam, all are under sin, all are in need of a redeemer. We see that reflected each time God makes a covenant in that pyramid we discussed, culminating with the death and resurrection of Jesus, which confirms that new covenant in his blood. All of us, Jew and Gentile alike, are justified through the blood of that high priest, Jesus. So for those listening, um, especially from a Christian audience who's who's in the church and who's sure. hearing this, what kind of practical takeaway do you have for them? Yeah, I think part of it is, is if you will, and I'm going to pull on Paul's language for a minute, this idea of not being ignorant of the schemes of the devil. Well, Ezra, you just went super spiritual. Well, I did because it's kind of a spiritual podcast as much as we're trying to hit the headlines also, right? And what do I mean by that? I think in this, in this diabolical way, 
throughout history, or let me say throughout the, the, the world history since the resurrection of Jesus, okay, and the rapid, rapid spread of the testimony and faith in Jesus throughout the known world, as it is and continues this day. There's more believers on earth now than there ever have been. If I'm the enemy, and I know two things, Jesus is coming back to rule and reign over the nations of the earth, and I know out of Jesus' own mouth in Matthew, he's not coming back until the Jewish people welcome him as Messiah. And truly, you won't see my face again, Jerusalem, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then I'm going to do two things. I'm going to try to make faith in Jesus unrecognizable to the Jewish people. And I'm going to try to separate the heart of the Christian community of followers of Jesus around the world from God's heart for Israel and the Jewish people by convincing them that God's done with them, that he's rejected them. That's replacement theology. We talk about it in other podcasts. And so uh, for our Christian audience, how does that play out? I would say we need to be careful not to be deceived or we need to be aware of, of really the schemes of the enemy. And, and for a Christian audience, it's saying, well, the Old Testament, the other covenants have nothing to do with me. And all that matters for me is Jesus invented this new religion, which the Jewish people rejected. So I'm saved and God's cut them off. What does that do? It, it shapes the heart of a Christian audience as fundamentally viewing that God's done with the Jewish people and that the, the, the fatness, if you will, the truth of those covenants has nothing to do with them. And on the other side of things, Jewish people's understanding of the New Covenant as a Christian idea, right? New Covenant, like you said, New Covenant equals New Testament equals New Testament church equals church equals something that's fundamentally got nothing to do with me, furthers this idea in the minds of Jewish men and women around the world that Jesus has nothing to do with them and they have nothing to do with him and that he can't possibly be for them and that he somehow threw away all the covenants and invented something else rather than, and I'll quote Jesus here, rather than him saying to his disciples and to the rabbis when they questioned him, truly until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest pen marking in this law will cease to exist because I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And we kind of go, oh, that's very poetic. You know, and Christians go, oh, I don't really know what that means. And does the law really matter? But Jesus died and I'm saved. And what, what Jesus is saying is, I've come to be the answer to this pyramid of covenants that have been made, including most specifically that new covenant. I'm the way that the laws of a holy God can be written by the spirit of God on the hearts of sinful men, because I will lend my life and my righteousness to them. And that's, that's the message for Christians is be aware the pyramid uh, that you're standing upon. Be aware that that capstone called the New Testament, the New Covenant, is actually standing upon a rich, rich history of how God wanted to relate to Israel and the nations in his mercy and his holiness. And for our Jewish audience, I would say if you've written off the idea of New Testament or New Covenant as a Christian idea, look again. Look at the words of Jesus. Don't look, about what don't look at what people told you you can or can't believe about him or what you should and shouldn't think of him. Go to the words themselves and ask yourself the question, is this man, Jesus, Yeshua, saying I'm done with Judaism and I'm inventing something else? Or is he saying I'm the fulfillment of what the law and Moses and the prophets foresaw? So that's my challenge to the audience. I think what you said earlier about it's one story right. and both Jews and Christians are involved yeah. is important. And you know the point you just made about Jesus is saying, I am the way, if there's Jewish people listening right now who are like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, 
We have other podcasts specifically about that or write to us. We're happy to talk to you about that and any questions that you have. And for Christians listening, like Ezra just said, just an encouragement that the Old Testament isn't, you know, it's not a book that you just close and you move to the New Testament. Right. You know, it's a story built upon a foundation of the Old Testament. And so don't just think it starts in the Gospels, but go back and see the whole story that God was telling. Totally. Totally. So we hope that's helpful. I know I'm sure it feels like a, a fire hose of tons of information about the covenants and what they all mean. You have to, might have to go back to your early uh, Bible school days and, and remind yourself of, of them. But um, it's always good to go back and double check what we're saying, by the way, not just right. uh, taking what we're saying as, as the truth, but going back to the Bible and, and looking it up yourself. Right. So for those listening, thanks so much for tuning in again this week. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, you can win um, a free bag of our Lost Tribes coffee, and you can enter to do that by going to ajewandagentildiscuss.org. For more episodes on the podcast, you can check out any platform that offers podcasts. We'd love if you'd leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you, whatever questions or comments you have. Please engage with us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. Thanks again for listening this week. Join us next week for another episode. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International. <laughs>